By downloading or listening to this podcast, you are agreeing to Moody's legal terms and conditions found at moody's.com slash disclaimer, including that the information provided is not investment or financial advice, and that Moody's will not be liable for losses arising from your use of the information. Hello and welcome to another episode of Emerging Markets Decoded, the podcast that brings you the latest trends shaping the world of emerging markets. I'm your host for today, Shireen Mohammadi from the Global Research Team, coming to you from New York. Our recent episodes have focused a lot on inflation and rising risks of stagflation. So today, we're going to take a step back and look at the big picture view on how these mounting risks will affect government finances, with a focus on non-investment grade sovereigns meaning governments rated below the BAA3 threshold. For this, we have Christian Fang from the Sovereign Team joining us from Dubai. Welcome, Christian. Hey, Shirin. Thanks for having me. Great to have you. How's the atmosphere out in Dubai these days? Uh, not too bad, I would say. Well, for one, the weather is cooling off, so uh, cooling down, actually. So, um, we, you know, the, the hot days of summer are hopefully behind us. And I would also say, you know, with with in the high oil price environment, um, this region seems to be relatively constructive, relatively positive, um, you know, with, with activity really quite bustling, picking up in the real estate sector, for instance, in investment and even in, in inflow of new expats. So um, things are looking fairly okay, I would say, in this region. That's great to hear. Start off the discussion on a positive note before we get into what I suspect will be a little bit more gloomy. So let's get to the topic of today's discussion, which is based on a publication your team recently put out, a semi-annual non-investment grade emerging market chart book that provides a high-level overview of key credit trends for this group of sovereigns. So let's start by discussing where ratings and outlooks are today for non-investment grade sovereigns. What have been the main trends in 2022 as the year slowly comes to a close? Sure. So we looked at the rating actions for non-investment grade EM sovereigns between March and late September 2022. Um, and they primarily reflect the change in credit conditions stemming from Russia's invasion of Ukraine. If you look across the regions, Emerging Europe, including Eurasia, saw the bulk of negative rating actions with 50% of of emerging Europe non-investment grade EMs having a negative outlook. If we look at the three other regions, APAC, Africa, Middle East, LATAM, around 20 to 25% of the non-investment grade EMs in each of those regions have a negative outlook. Now, another important trend to highlight is that when comparing ratings today compared to pre-pandemic, we have more EMs rated CAA and below, led by Africa, Middle East, followed by LATAM. Okay, so a firmly negative trend. Now, one of the underlying negatives in all of this relates to the macro environment, where risks are skewed firmly to the downside, driven by inflation, geopolitical tensions from the Russia-Ukraine military conflict, China's growth slowdown, risks of monetary policy missteps globally, as well as social and political instability. What are the main macro vulnerabilities for non-investment grade emerging markets? Well, for non-investment grade EMs in particular, what we see are really structural challenges being amplified by the inflation shock. Three channels I can think of. One, high commodity prices, which means a higher import bill. Two, high interest rates, which means high borrowing costs. 
And three, a strong dollar, which means EM currencies are depreciating and capital inflows into EMs are less forthcoming. Now, if we look at the first channel, many of these EMs are reliant on energy and food imports. And higher energy and food prices would increase the pressure on government finances, for example, for higher spending on subsidies. Fiscal deficits are already wide because of the pandemic as governments continue to prioritize spending to protect low-income households and to support the post-pandemic economic recovery. And for low to middle income countries where the agriculture sector is important for employment and the economy, higher fertilizer prices may also prompt additional government spending. So the trade-off between fiscal support or fiscal consolidation and ensuring social stability is a policy challenge. Okay, and besides this trade-off between fiscal support and social stability, can you elaborate more on the interest rate channel and other ways that high inflation can affect government finances? Sure. So high interest rates, whether in local or foreign currency, would weigh on credit demand and growth and also increase interest payments. But I think quite importantly for this group of EMs, many of these are reliant on external financing. And some of these have sizable non-concessional debt in foreign currencies. This is a challenge because higher interest rates in developed markets would reduce the appetite for capital inflows into EMs. This would widen external financing gaps and increase borrowing costs in foreign currencies. Now, we are already seeing credit spreads to US Treasuries widen beyond levels we saw during the pandemic. And for the low-rated non-investment grade EMs, this narrows their external funding options because they're less able to access international bond markets. Many of our negative actions have been due to the financing challenge we see for some of these EMs. Now, apart from government finances and financing, balance of payments dynamics could also come under pressure if exports or remittances don't pick up to offset the higher import bill, or if external financing isn't forthcoming because of what we just discussed. If this leads to currency depreciation, it would exacerbate inflation and also increase debt burdens for those EMs that have sizable foreign currency debt. Okay, so higher interest payments, financing challenges for those with more immediate financing needs, and currency depreciation pressures for those with a higher share of foreign currency debt. Is it fair to say we expect wider deficits and higher debt across the board? Well, it's fair to say we expect a challenging environment for government finances generally. Now, coming out of the pandemic, many EMs have been pursuing fiscal consolidation. But this inflation shock and the pressure on spending means that fiscal deficits will remain relatively wide, notwithstanding you know, this desire to consolidate finances. And this is broad-based, except for a handful of hydrocarbon exporters that are benefiting from higher oil and gas production and prices. We expect around 75% of non-investment grade EMs to have wider deficits this year and next year compared to pre-pandemic levels. Take, for example... Um, Ghana, Tunisia, both of which we have taken negative examples on recently, we expect the deficits will remain more than three percentage points of GDP wider than their pre-pandemic deficits. Now, in turn, what this means is that that burdens will also remain elevated, and we expect almost all non-investment grade sovereigns to have debt as a share of GDP higher than pre-pandemic levels over the next two years. The median increase in debt burden between 2019 and our forecast for the end of 2023 is almost 10 percentage points of GDP. To just a handful of exceptions, of course, one notable one is Angola, 
where a combination of fiscal reforms and higher oil prices have resulted in fiscal surpluses and debt reduction. What about the impact of inflation on these debt burdens? Higher inflation is often said to be good for debt holders because it inflates away the value of that debt. In other words, the balance in real terms declines. Do we expect this to be the case for these non-investment grade emerging markets? Will the effect of wider deficits on debt burdens be offset by higher inflation? Well, good point. And actually, debt burdens, specifically the debt-to-GDP ratio, won't rise as much from levels during the pandemic because high inflation will boost nominal GDP, which is a denominator. But I would say debt will remain high. And you know, we, we already saw some of the comparisons in the next two years compared to pre-pandemic. Now, advanced economies are also seeing larger fiscal deficits and elevated debt burdens. Why is this development a bigger issue for emerging markets? Yeah, I had talked about the inflation shock in amplifying structural challenges. Another structural challenge we haven't talked about is the weaker debt affordability of EMs, especially the lower rated ones when you compare them with advanced economies. Here I'm talking about interest payments as a share of revenue for the debt affordability metric. And just to give you a sense of magnitude, um, in Sri Lanka, interest payments absorb around 60 to 70% of government revenue. And in Egypt, Ghana, and Pakistan, interest payments amount to at least 40% of revenue. So here, higher interest payments as interest rates rise means there will be even less fiscal room for non-interest expenditure, which is really the recurrent spending and capital expenditure that's needed to support future growth. And there's one more structural challenge. Non-investment grade EMs also tend to have shallower local currency debt markets and a smaller domestic savings pool. This means less funding options, and a greater reliance on external financing compared to advanced economies or the high-rated EMs. And as I mentioned earlier, the exposure to foreign currency debt exposes EM debt burdens to sharp local currency depreciation. And we've already seen that. We've already seen significant depreciation in Sri Lanka, Ghana, Turkey, Pakistan, Egypt, just to name a few. You talk about local currency depreciation. How are these countries' weaker currencies impacting their current account balances, which for those who may not be familiar with the current account, is a measure of a country's spending and earnings abroad, including the trade of goods and services? Yeah, well, this is an interesting question, well, because currency depreciation usually reflects balance of payments pressures. But so far, we continue to expect current account deficits for, these group of, for this group of EMs to remain similar to pre-pandemic levels even though they will still be wider than the past two years. Now, this widening is somewhat technical in nature. It's partly due to the rebound in imports. Remember, there was an import compression during the pandemic. And it's also partly due to high global energy, food and fertilizer prices weighing on the import bill. But at the same time, for quite a number of these EMs, we expect remittances and exports to also pick up. Some of that is a rebound, for instance, in the tourism sector. Now, regardless of these dynamics that we see currently, Global growth headwinds will be a challenge if and when they weigh on demand for EM exports and remittances. And obviously, as we discussed earlier, the broader balance of payments dynamics would also come under pressure with a stronger dollar and higher developed market interest rates. And ultimately, the adequacy of foreign exchange reserves is a key differentiating factor for us. Low reserve adequacy was a driver or at least a contributor to some of our negative rating actions, including Sri Lanka, Turkey, and Pakistan. 
And finally, I'd be remiss not to end this conversation with a question about social and political risks in these countries, given their more limited fiscal space and tools to address the rising cost of living crisis. What's the outlook on this front? Challenging. <laughs> so for non-investment grade EMs as a whole, it is, as you say, related to the impact of inflation and currency depreciation on the purchasing power, particularly for low-income households. Now, governments are prioritizing social support, we see that, and of course, some have become better at targeting the socially vulnerable, having had the experience of the pandemic. And we haven't quite seen broad-based social unrest across these countries. And where we've seen protests, the issues have been generally quite idiosyncratic, like in Iraq, like in Senegal. Even in Sri Lanka, the external financing challenges had preceded the inflation shock. But... Note of caution, we are still watching out for social risks because governments generally have quite limited fiscal flexibility. Yeah, the Sri Lankan example is one extreme, given its revolutionary elements. Are there any sovereigns in this cohort with upcoming elections where we might see extreme swings as a result of widespread discontent? Um, well, there aren't many elections that are coming up, but maybe a few I would highlight that may be particularly worth watching. So Tunisia, this year in December, might be interesting because the government is negotiating an IMF program. Next year, we have Pakistan and Argentina in the second half, which may have an impact on reforms. And of course, then the respective IMF programs and the prospects for external financing. And I would say, of course, Turkey in June next year would be very interesting because in our view, institutions and governance for this country is tied to political developments. So to sum things up, a bleak global macro environment of sustained high inflation and rising interest rates is exposing non-investment-grade emerging markets to fiscal risks related to weakening debt affordability and social spending pressures given the prevalence of lower-income households in many of these countries, whose basic livelihoods tend to be among the most vulnerable to inflationary episodes. So overall, a very gloomy outlook, but at least some positive news still coming out of Dubai. <laughs> Christian, thanks for coming on the show today and sharing your insights with us. And thank you to our listeners for joining us. If you have any comments or feedback, please email us at empodcast at moody's.com. Until next time, stay safe. Thanks for listening to this Moody's Talks podcast. To find out more about the topics discussed, please follow the links in the show notes. You can check out other Moody's Talks podcasts by visiting moody's.com slash podcasts.